1: Okay, um, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to 2015. Um, It's Monday night, it's 6 p.m., and it's another edition of Auntie Nanny. Um, um, My mic is okay, all right? Uh, With me this evening, as always, is the ever lovely, and talented Miss Jeannie Kay. And the best producer money can't buy. Very hi, very. How are you this evening? I'm good. Okay. Uh, After
0: all I the audio playing as usual. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm I'm really really getting over the Mixler SoundCloud bullshit. This needs to stop. It's yeah. it's worse and worse every week, and it takes longer and longer for us to sort out. And it's like, come on. Well, at
2: least this week it was my fault. How was it your fault? Well, because it was. I mean,
1: I had an <laughs> entire day a screw up, so d- this is my fault. You weren't even on when we were <laughs> trying to sort this out. I'm like over <laughs> there going, okay, let me turn my gain up. Okay, so I've got my gain turned up to 10, and Barry's now feeding my sound back through into my mixer so he can hear me, and it's screaming. I'm like, this is not going to work. <laughs> See, you weren't even in the room, so you couldn't have done anything about it and it had nothing to do with you. Oh, um, something I actually didn't mention, and I didn't put in the show notes, um, five people from the Islamic State were confirmed to have Ebola, so they treated them humanely as you would expect them to and burnt them alive. That is the Islamic State treatment for Ebola.
0: Well, they don't have doctors, so, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, they could have euthanized them first. Well, yeah, but they don't, they don't euthanize anybody. So, uh, Shell's cheap, well, they you do
0: know. euthanize you. They do it by setting you on fire. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're saving, they're, they're um, cutting down on people's lead consumption per, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency. Apparently. <laughs> Sorry that I started the show with that. Would you have preferred to hear about the 29-year-old hedge fund manager who absconded with 20 million dollars? Because we to talk about somewhere. that. They'll, They'll find, find him dead somewhere. Yeah, uh, no doubt. He better make hay while the sun shines.
0: Can yeah, it? I mean, with the way banks are, he's not going to uh, live too long. I don't think.
1: <laughs> he will not have a long and happy life. No. So. Yeah, I'm assuming we'll start the middle of next week with a dead banker story. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Anti-terror plan to spy on toddlers is heavy-handed. Nursery staff and childminders are given duty to report toddlers they suspect of being at risk for becoming terrorists under new home office measures. Nursery school staff and registered childminders must report toddlers at risk of becoming terrorists under counter-terrorism measures proposed by the government. This is from the UK. The directive is contained in a 39-page consultation document issued by the Home Office in a bid to bolster its Prevent Anti-Terrorism Plan. Critics said that the idea was unworkable and heavy-handed and accused the government of treating teachers and, and careers, which I'm assuming is career childminders, as spies. The document accompanies the Counterterrorism and Security Bill, currently before Parliament, it identifies nurseries and earlier child care providers along with schools and universities as having the duty to prevent people from being drawn into terrorism. The document paper adds senior management and governors should make sure that staff have training given to them gives them the knowledge and the confidence to identify children at risk of being drawn into terrorism and challenge extremist ideas which can be used to legitimize terrorism and are shared by terrorist groups. They should know where and how to refer children and young people for further help. But concern was raised over the practice of making it a legal requirement for staff to inform on toddlers. David Davis, the conservative MP and former shadow home secretary said, it's hard to see how this can be implemented. It's unworkable. I have to say, I do not understand what the nursery staff are expected to do. Are they supposed to report some toddler who comes in praising a preacher deemed to be extreme? I don't think so. It's heavy handed. Mr. Davis also accused the Home Office of pushing legislation too quickly. Isabel Sankey, the policy director at Human Rights Rights Body Liberty, said, turning our teachers and childminders into an army of involuntary spies will not stop the terrorist threat. Far from bringing those at the margins back into the mainstream of society, it will sow seeds of mistrust, division, and alienation from an early age. The government should focus on projects to support vulnerable young people, Instead, they're playing straight into the terrorist hands by rushing through a bill that undermines our democratic principles and turns us into a nation of spies. Head Teachers Union NAHT said it was uneasy with the new guidance. Any thoughts? Are they insane? You know, most children act like fucking terrorists. I mean, that's kind of been my experience. You've got a toy I want, mine, you know, Smash. They're Kids. four. Mm hmm. They're three, two, three, and four-year-olds. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're Darn supposed
2: to be—they're supposed to be destructive and unruly and unmanageable.
1: They're four. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I I get that, but the government thinks that's the age you identify terrorists. Actually. And and very, you thought we had fucked up politicians. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, this is in the UK. Yeah.
1: I, I'm just, I was baffled when I read this. I said, you know, no way. I mean, it was bad enough that, you know, they they want to put timers on everybody's TV over there to turn them off. <laughs> and they want to limit coffee pots to only being on for like 10 minutes. Nothing's nicer than a cup of coffee after it's gone really cold and uh, heating it up won't cost you too much in energy. But now this... It's just so. It's really extreme. Yeah, I mean that. That's As an I say, extreme nanny
0: state gone mad. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah. Um, hopefully, we don't have this problem here. Although, I did read a story last week in Florida about a parent who wanted to discipline his child, so he called the cops to come and supervise his child being spanked <laughs> because he was afraid he would get in trouble otherwise. So. Well, yeah.
0: in the UK, it's really weird. You know, as a parent, you can't spank your child. Oh, good Lord. But you could call the police and get them to do it. <laughs> so there would be a reason for calling the police. <laughs> oh.
1: Jesus Christ. Okay. The whole world has just gone topsy-turvy. Not that I'm surprised. I just think it's hysterical.
2: Oh, and by the way, Jan, before you go to your next story, you jinxed me. You were bitching about the new freaking Skype.
1: Uh-huh. I told you yeah, you were gonna get
2: it. Yeah, when the power went out yesterday and this computer restarted. <laughs> thanks, Jan. Thanks.
1: <laughs> I told you. Yeah. Oh, it's horrible. It looks like a friggin' smurf exploded in there. Although, you know what's cool? Hang on. Uh let me show you. The the only good thing about this stupid thing is the emoticons are kinda better. <laughs> kind of. Um Oh. The huggy bear is better. That's about the only thing that's better in the new and improved Skype.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> oh my god! Look at that one. <laughs> ah, Jeannie's yes. mooning me, you guys.
0: <laughs>
2: you guys, I have to tell you, in oh, in the. Not
0: the, the Decentred Decentred Square, though. Skype. That's not right. The
2: first shiny <laughs> moment of the night, guys. Callum, <laughs> I have to tell you, in the new version of Skype, when you do the little mooning thing, uh, and of- the guy drops his trousers. It puts a black box over the crack of his ass. I am not even kidding.
0: <laughs> That's just not right.
1: It's not right. It's a cartoon. It's like oh God. Good lord. It, they took just, out my favorite one. Uh, yeah, mine too. Yeah. They probably were afraid, you know, the cursing Skype, they would have to censor that. The cursing little Skype guy would have to be censored.
0: Well, I mean Yeah, they
1: took out they took out a lot of my favorite ones.
0: Yeah, they they seem to keep accidentally forgetting to take the mooning one out for some reason.
2: Yeah, <laughs> they they took out the stufu, they took out the swearing, they took out the foo bar, and they took out the finger.
1: Yeah, yeah ah, is that, that's just not right. And then they censored the man who was mooning everybody. They censored the man in the moon. Yeah,
2: thanks. Skype. Which which goes along with your next story,
1: Jim. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it kind of does actually. Google makes vulnerable Windows code public. No fix from Microsoft. On December 29th, Google's went public. Google went public with a Windows 8.1 vulnerability code that gives administrator privileges to low-level users. Although Microsoft was informed of the flaw on September 30th, it still has not issued a Windows software update with a possible fix. The vulnerability, which poses a serious threat to Windows users, was filed as part of Google's Project Zero, an initiative aimed at exposing weaknesses in software before hackers get a hold of them. While Microsoft has had an ample 90 days to fix the problem, Google's disclosure of the issue has become a thing of discussion among security experts. Google responded by saying that three months was more than enough time to resolve the issue, stating that their Project Zero aims at using disclosure deadlines to achieve user security, since it gives vendors such as Microsoft enough time to fix their issues and maintain the rights of their users to know and understand the risk at hand. Google also disclosed that it'll be watching the effect of their disclosures policy, albeit initial results of that same policy have proven that most bugs reported under this deadline do get tackled and resolved. Here's what the researchers found out. Put the app comp... Barry, can you read this?
0: (laughs) Appcompacache.exe and testdll.dll
1: On disk. Ensure that the UAC is enabled. The current user is a split token admin and the UAC setting is the default. No prompt for specific ex- executables. Execute app. Comp-
0: compact cache.
1: Okay. From the command prompt with the command line app. Compact cache. E-X-E. See Windows system 32. Computer defaults. E-X-E. Test DLL. DLL. If successful, then the calculator should appear running as administrator. If it doesn't work the first time and you get the computer defaults program, rerun the exploit from three. There seems to be a caching timing limit on the first run. See, I just gave you, I just told you how to take over somebody's Windows 8.1. Thank you very much. Well, you sort have to
0: of. be at the computer to do it. <laughs> yeah, if, but if it if means you, you get admin privileges, which means you can what install about software.
2: What about people that are tech tards like me? I mean, we used to build all of our computers, and... I still do. I'm I'm old. I'm old. So, I know how to program in C-Basic. I know how to program in C-Basic++. I know how to run DOS. I know how to run Windows three (laughs) one one. But, yeah, um, the last two Microsoft operating systems, I don't know a fucking thing about these. Why can't they just fix their shit? (sighs) They forced a Skype down my fucking throat.
1: (laughs) 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 Um, why can't they just fix their shit I don't know but they are assholes although Microsoft has certainly taken its time to fix the vulnerability the company says the solution is underway Microsoft insists that most users don't even need to worry about this issue in Windows 8.1 code as any hacker would actually need valid logging credentials and access to the actual machine that they are attempting to attack while this issue may not be a major concern for regular home users, IT specialists in major enterprises may have to keep an eye on this until an update with a fix is issued. This is not the first time when Microsoft has taken a long period of time to fix a security issue. In November 2014, the company fixed a critical vulnerability that existed for 19 years. Yeah.
0: this trouble, Microsoft. It's so big. They have loads of teams working on things. Mm-hmm. So then... Then when they find a problem like this, they then have to decide which team it is that's responsible for it. And that can take weeks.
2: No, bullshit. What teams happened- argue. Yeah, no, what happens with Microsoft is this. Microsoft designed an operating system, and they put it out there in the world. And everybody says, well, did you test this? And they said, well, no, we're expecting the people that are paying through their fucking ass to buy this crap, to tell us what is wrong with it, and if we drag our sorry ass long enough, some smart motherfucker out there that we're not paying is going to send us a fix to this problem. That's how they test shit. That's how they get things resolved. They wait for people to find out that it's all fucked up and tell them how to fix it. I swear um, to God, Microsoft doesn't test a goddamn thing before they release it.
1: Excuse no, they don't. Yeah, they, and and they... the usual
0: person has done the dropped Apple Mac into the chart. And I don't want to pay that much for a Linux machine. I really don't.
1: <laughs> well, you can. That's you all can, a Mac is. It's just well, Linux. You, but you can go Linux. You know what I mean? You can completely strip everything out. You can run dual system if you want. Yeah. You know, I don't dick about computers, but I, even I know that.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, and don't buy an actual Apple. Uh, get a Hackintosh. It's all PC components. You just install the wind at the um, Apple. Apple operating system. It will cost you approximately half as much for twice the machine.
1: Sounds about right. Sounds about right. Okay. Lots of
0: forums around explaining how to do that. Is Hackintosh
2: a real thing? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's yeah.
1: PC components with an Apple operating system.
0: Yeah, okay. they work fine?
2: I I didn't know, so I figured I better ask.
0: The VTTV has an IT guy as one of the presenters <laughs> and he literally built one in the morning
1: you know
2: but we, use, place we could, used to have one then he you know got a vape shop
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say we could use an IT guy here somebody who could just basically make Mixler work would be fucking fabulous I mean, Well, that
2: business. when you don't forget the, the tech guy that we used to have bitched about Mixler all the time so. <laughs> well, it's
1: Mixler, Mixler was a rough recommendation I'll put it that way and then I'm done
2: I mean when um, it works for Google you you kind of should listen to what he's saying because you know generally at least Google makes their shit work.
0: Yeah. And they usually make all their stuff open source. So if you you can go and have a look and see if you you can spot any problems and let them know. Whereas Microsoft really don't like people hacking their stuff.
1: <laughs> welcome to the welcome to 2015. I'm sure they're going to find they get hacked plenty. Um, speaking of hacking, the NSA can't hack everyone. (laughs) That, that's, I, I didn't write this. It seemed pretty hopeful. I said, okay, I'll run with it. A new wave of U.S. National Security Agency document leaks show the agency wasn't able to spy on everyone thanks to some encryption tools several programs use that successfully thwart digital espionage. (sighs) German magazine Der Spiegel reported that the NSA couldn't decipher communications such as emails and online chat messages from a handful of services that use encryption beyond the NSA's code-cracking abilities, based on documents obtained from former NSA contractor and whistleblower Edward Snowden in 2013. Okay, so this isn't the like most recent news. Der Spiegel recently analyzed NSA documents Snowden previously released to the news outlets in 2013. Ubiquitous encryption on the Internet is a major threat to the NSA's ability to prosecute digital network intelligence traffic or defeat adversary malware, an NSA employee said in an internal training document from 2012. Programs that used OTR or off-the-record end-to-end encryption, such as the anonymous network Tor, which we know they hacked, and professional software company Zoho's email, and chat services proved to be major challenges for the NSA. The agency also reported that it couldn't break into files using TrueCrypt, a recently decommissioned open-source whole-disk encryption service, I'm so sorry that that place went under, service along with other encryption tools that kept some messages unreadable. The NSA was stumped further if users incorporated a variety of security measures, such as using Tor to connect to the Internet, cSpace to send online messages, and ZRTP to make phone calls. That combination made individuals nearly invisible to the NSA, Der Spiegel reported. But the leaked documents also revealed which services provide little privacy protections. The NSA labeled the services and files such as trivial, moderate, or catastrophic, based on how easy they were to decrypt. Hacking into Facebook chats were considered minor, Der Spiegel reported, while getting into emails through mail.ru, a Moscow internet service provider, was a moderate task. Moreover, using a virtual private network, or VPN, provides minimal security. VPNs, which can be used to circumvent online censorship and surveillance, is exploited by the NSA thanks to a team of dedicated hacking VPN connections, such as, excuse me, the ones used by Greek government agencies. Public concerns over government surveillance have swelled and fueled the global push for better privacy practices, including standardized encryption across the Internet Since last year's Snowden revelations, the NSA released a slew of redacted documents Christmas Eve detailing how the agency and others in the intelligence community knowingly or unknowingly violated privacy laws to collect data. The document release confirms earlier reports and suspicions that the agency's spy programs mainly collected private online communications from ordinary citizens rather than suspected terrorists. Earlier this year, Snowden encouraged tech companies at the SXSW conference to take the lead by encrypting all of their services to combat government surveillance. Everyday citizens have heeded Snowden's advice, increasing encryption use for more than 60% since news of the NSA spy program hit in 2013. Tech companies such as WordPress, Tumblr, and Google have also boosted their web security with tougher encryption methods. International governments have also taken more precautions to prevent U.S. intelligence agencies from eavesdropping on official communications. Germany and Russia vowed earlier this year to switch to paper communications, including handwritten notes and typewriters to avoid detection. Other countries have responded by beefing up their own spy programs or doubling down on American tech companies operating overseas. Companies such as Google and Facebook have had to combat international threats to ban their services. If companies fail to adhere. Here to strict privacy guidelines. European regulators have chastised the companies for disregarding consumer privacy and have moved to rein in indiscriminate, voracious data collection practices. Italy recently gave the company 18 months to adopt a newly imposed privacy policy that would require the company to routinely purge user data and get express permission before tracking consumers' internet activity for advertisements. That sounds pretty good to me. Facebook is awaiting a controversial European Union high court ruling that could determine whether the social network illegally let the NSA spy on European users. If the company uses other tech companies, could face tougher privacy laws like getting express permission to collect and store consumer data if they want to do business in Europe. Very
0: Well, yes. Um, Facebook is in a lot of trouble with the EU because most of the EU has quite stringent privacy laws. Yeah. Um, so yeah it doesn't well, fly well here that they hand over their data to anyone <laughs> who asks um, well, because it's I against mean, the law here
1: it is uh, but, it doesn't
0: matter what country they register their business in if they're operating in the EU they have to follow the EU law
1: well, I mean that would be the way to do things but I do think Facebook is actually being sued by American users for just all of the advertising and all of the eavesdropping that it's been doing. Yeah. So, I mean, they're facing a lot of lawsuits. Um, I have no idea about Google, but, you know, Google's just kind of, I don't know. I, I think the don't be evil mantra they used to have just means nothing now. No. But,
0: yeah. yeah, again, they're now a global giant company, so yeah. Money is their driving force.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is. So, there was that. I mean, I thought it was kind of good news. Yeah. Also, it encourages people to learn how to encrypt their data, which is kind of.
0: I kind of do it automatically.
1: (laughs) Not everyone's you. Some people need an easy button to do things.
0: Well, yeah, that's yeah. I only do it because that was the. Habit. first career that I didn't bother having was as uh, a specialist in encryption. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. That's why, yeah, all this NSA spying, that's why I, I kept saying on here, you know, it's like they are not they can't look at everything.
1: No. Well, it's I mean, just not they, possible. Well, they can build a huge data center and store all the information, but really they're going to have to build gigantic supercomputers to comb through all that data, and then there's going to be errors.
0: There's no easy way to filter it all. So, yeah, they're just uh, storing stuff that's of no relevance for the most part.
1: (laughs) Which is just stupid and a waste of money.
0: Yeah, because all them Facebook posts of people saying, I've made a cup of coffee.
1: Yeah, that's (laughs)
0: such important information for the government to know. LOL. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The government really needed to know all that stuff. Um, Domestic abuse control and surveillance. How do domestic abusers exercise control over their significant others? By using high-tech surveillance apps to keep track of their whereabouts, a disturbing new survey reports. According to a study by the domestic violence organization Women's Aid, 41% of domestic violence victim spouses have installed spyware and surveillance apps on their mobile phones without their consent. (sighs) The Independence reports. Another study by the Digital Trust has determined that more than 50% of domestic abusers use such surveillance apps to track their victims. Using surveillance technology to track your significant other's mobile phone activity is on the rise, said Polly Neat, the chief executive of Women's Aid. We increasingly hear stories of abusers adding tracking software to phones, placing spy on personal computers, and using the internet to gather information about their partner, she told The Independent. Unfortunately, as is often the case with most types of cybercrime, law enforcement has failed to catch up with the rapid evolution of technology. In many cases, the police are not trained to recognize and understand the impact of online abuse in tracking, and action is rarely taken against abusers, Neat said. While reading someone's text, tracking their location using GPS technology, or recording their phone calls without their knowledge is technically illegal in most states, there's no shortage of surveillance apps on the market offering such services. Usually, they're marketed to, uh, as apps to help catch a cheating spouse or girlfriend, boyfriend. As the Daily Dot reported earlier this year, the UK based cell phone tracking and monitoring software MSpy allows you to access someone else's contacts, call logs, and text messages and browser history for $40 a month. In its defense, mSpy, which opened an office in New York earlier this year, says that consent is required to install the software on someone else's phone, but there's obviously no way for the company to ensure that the consent is obtained in all instances. There's also another software company, Flexispy, that allows you to conduct spy calls, which lets you remotely activate your partner's microphone to pick up the audio on their phone calls. This is particularly useful once you confirm she's not actually where she told you she was. You could actually capture a recording of her in the act, the product description on the website says. Flexi Spy also offers a service to catch catchy cheating husband in the interest of gender equality. But even if those surveillance apps were taken off the market in one fell swoop, The truth is most people don't even need software like M-Spy to keep track of a cheating spouse because we have so little privacy on the internet to begin with. Thanks to security bugs on apps like Tinder and upload location features on Facebook and Instagram, it's never been easier for someone to find out where you are at any given time, regardless of whether or not you want them to. Jeannie. Tell me what you tell your niece.
2: What would I tell my niece?
1: Tell me what you tell her when you see her posting, I'm going here, I'm going
2: there. Stop putting your entire fucking life on Facebook. Somebody could kidnap you, have you chopped up in little fucking pieces, and your body decomposed before anybody would know you were missing.
1: Okay.
2: And that is exactly what I did.
1: (laughs) I was blown away that they say, well, we can just... We'll we'll let you look through people's browser history, call logs, text messages for 40 bucks a month. You know, we could get rid of the NSA completely and just hire these companies. I mean, (laughs)
2: we would save a lot of fucking money. And these young people have no idea what the fuck they're doing. My niece literally posts, okay, I'm leaving the house now and going to Starbucks on da-da-da-da-da, whatever fucking street address it happens to be on, to get my blah-blah-blah-blah, And, you know, and then she's like, okay, well, I'm at work now. Here's me for the next four hours till lunch break. I'm like, seriously,
1: what are are you doing,
2: you dumbass?
1: (laughs) People have no privacy, but people your niece's age were raised in an age where privacy isn't even thought of anymore. That's the first age of people that think it's perfectly normal to share everything with the Internet.
0: Well, the one that makes me laugh at the minute is uh, there's another round of the people posting that stupid statement privacy. on Facebook saying, I don't know oh, my privacy stuff. policy policy, blah, 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 I, I am stating that they need written permission to use any of my data. And you're like, yeah, you making a statement makes no fucking difference legally.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you agreed to their terms of use. You're yep. fucked. Whatever you put on here is their shit. Yep. yep. We are the, we are the uh, product.
1: Product. Whenever you don't pay for something, you are the product. And I really think an interesting business model for businesses to attempt in the near future will be to offer you the option to opt out of all this shit for a fee. Because... I, I know I'm concerned enough that I'd pay a fee to opt out of all this tracking bullshit. You know, and I have, I have nothing to hide, but if you, do I ever post anything personal on Facebook in your recollection? No. No. Yeah. There's a reason for that. And that's why I, I say I have nothing to hide. I don't, but I'm also really careful about what I put online because you know, I don't want some jackass kidnapping me from work.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I put personal information on, but usually not specifics.
1: <laughs> I put shit
2: on there, I don't give a fuck if everybody knows.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Another good one is, um, on on most places I go, my birthday isn't my actual birthday, even. <laughs>
2: yeah, you sneaky bastard. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But it's easy enough to find out. So <laughs> yeah, my, my Facebook profile, uh, some people find kind of amusing. Because it doesn't have actual, any solid information for the most part. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, does it need it?
2: No.
1: <laughs> I mean, the people who know you know you. You yeah. know what I mean?
2: I mean, and the first time I had to ask you and see this—this this is the fucked-up thing about the internet and the vaping community. Okay. The first time I asked Very for his name and address, I'm like, "Oh wow, you don't look like one of them." <laughs> and I've never, and I've only ever seen him once. But I mean, when when I found out what his real name was, I'm like, yeah, no, not, it doesn't that, that that doesn't fit to me," and it's kind of like Mal. Malestal is Mal. Mal will always be Mal, and Flitzy will always be Flitzy. He is not Daniel to me. He is Flitzy.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> you're not his mom. You're not her mom, and, and that's the difference. I, I think I've always just been Jan.
0: Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it came up when I joined VTTV. They're like, huh? well, what do you want to be called? Betty or Richard? And I'm like, oh, I don't care. I'll answer it either.
2: it's like I'm not very creative with screen names because my name is Jeannie everybody calls me Jeannie all my screen names are Jeannie except on ECF where I'm silent band and it's (laughs) Kershaw.
1: you know I've got to tell you um, ECF is just oh god I I don't um, I don't see the point it's, I, I You know, I've been vaping almost six years. Um, I couldn't wait to get away from that place. Uh, after 25 posts, I ran to Vapor's Forum, and I stayed there for a really long time, and now that's not what it was.
0: So. Well, in the UK, we have many forums. And- well,
2: I, I really wish that Oliver was as involved as he used to be. ECF used to be a nice place for the most part. Yeah. Uh, you know, my, the reason I walked away from ECF for years and never went back there was because the first time I asked a question, I needed help with this blue e that I got January 8th, 2010. And the response that I got was that was what you get for being a stupid bitch and buying a blue. <laughs> so I went somewhere else.
1: You know, that's why Kevin actually invented Papers Place. I can't say he invented it because at one point it was a, a Ning Group. Does anybody remember Ning? Uh-uh. Nope. That's what first Place started out as being, was a Ning group.
2: Oh, I remember the Batcave.
1: Yeah, I do too, but I think you and I are talking two different things. I'm talking a, a club, and you're talking something else. Right?
2: I'm talking about a forum.
1: Oh, okay. I'm talking about a club. We are talking two very different things. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, I remember the Cave, but I don't think we're talking Bajas now. Just saying. Okay.
2: Ming, uh, Samantha wants to know if Ming is Masters of the Universe.
1: Ning, N-I-N-G. Oh, N-I-N-G. Ning, N-I-N-G. It was like a a thing where you could make a uh, a social user group type thing, and Um, Vapor's Place eventually grew out of that.
2: I didn't know what MySpace was until three months before it went out of fashion and Facebook came to.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you missed people all together (laughs) then? Yeah.
1: uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Genie misses all the coolest stuff. (laughs) I'll
2: tell you what, part of my thing with the start of this year was I was throwing away that filter that everybody, while most people have, that's that filter that where your mind screams, "Don't say that!" <laughs> Fuck it, it's gone. People it's love gone. Those? Yeah, I have always tried to behave myself really well in Facebook groups and stuff because I want people to behave that way, and it and it doesn't work, and they don't behave that way. So if they're gonna be an asshole, I should be unfiltered and tell them you're an asshole. So I threw that filter away, um, and I also uh, don't spend very much time on Facebook. I, I have not since before Christmas um, because, yeah, I got better things to do.
1: I just stick my news up in there. I, I know that sounds weird, but all every story that's on the podcast every week is actually on my Facebook page
0: somewhere. I, I, I use Facebook because, like, friends of mine use it. And also, there's lots of interesting pictures of golf ladies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you know... Oh, wow. hey! Earlier, um, just FYI, with the new wonderful um, micro suck upgrade to Skype, if a window ever appears at the top that says you need to install Flash <laughs> for this to work, don't click on that because no. that's a malware exploit.
0: Yeah, I've, I've got all sorts of things um, blocking all sorts of stuff to do with Skype. Yeah, well, including the advertising.
1: Yeah, you. I need a copy of that because this. Oh no,
0: it's it's it's. You have to do a bit of light coding, just to get an address. But but yeah,
1: never mind.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You have to go into your uh, Windows settings and.
1: No, no, no. Change
0: change files.
1: Yeah, no, you're talking to the wrong girl. Yeah. I I actually know some stuff about computers. I probably know more about the people who hack them than anything about the internal systems or how to properly code.
2: I am very, what's that site with all of the, with all the APKs?
0: Oh, there are many sites with lots of APKs.
2: Developers? Um, Is that the big one? And the only reason I found out about that was because I was trying to get my original Nook to play videos. And yeah. it, the original Nook color wouldn't, Nook co- color, sorry, <laughs> uh, the original one would not. And you just needed some new APKs. And so, you know, I read up on that and figured out how to hack my Nook.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, um, Droid, or, Central Droid Central is whatever a whatever place for it. stuff. <laughs>
1: Um, I thought this story was interesting because it tells you something about science, and it also tells you something about what the supercomputers of the future are going to look like. That old PlayStation can aid science. This spring, very you're up here.
0: Gorov Kona.
1: Notice that the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth physics department was more crowded than usual why, he wondered, were so many students suddenly so interested in science? It wasn't a thirst for knowledge, it turns out. News of Dr. Canna's success in building a supercomputer using only PlayStation 3 video game consoles had spread quickly. The students, a lot of them gamers, just wanted to gape at the sight of nearly 200 consoles stacked one on top of the other. It's caused quite a stir around here, Dr. Canna said. A black hole physicist and associate director of the university's Center for Scientific Computing and Visualization Research, Dr. Canna first networked 16 PlayStation 3 consoles in 2007 to help model black hole collisions. His research is focused on finding and studying gravitational waves, vibrations that ripple through time-space. The waves, first predicted by Einstein's theory of general relativity, form a particularly violent violent astrophysical event like two black holes smashing together because black holes cannot be observed through telescopes dr canna uses supercomputers to create simula- simulations of these collisions the 200 playstation 3 consoles that comprise the supercomputer are housed in a refrigerated shipping container supercomputers have become an increasingly important tool for scientists and engineers who rely on them to crunch large numbers and solve calculations too large for one processor to attempt. According to Dr. Canna, a supercomputer performs at least 10 times as well as a single desktop computer. He refers to supercomputers as the third pillar of science behind theory and experimentation. Science has become expensive, he said. There's simply not that much money going around either at the university or the federal level, supercomputing allows scientists to make up for the resources they don't have. Making a supercomputer requires a large number of processors, standard desktops, laptops, or the like, and a way to network them. Dr. Canna picked the PlayStation 3 for its viability and cost, currently $250 to $300 in stores, Unlike other game consoles, the PlayStation 3 allows users to install a preferred operating system, making it attractive to programmers and developers. The latest model, the PlayStation 4, does not have this feature. Gaming had grown into a huge market, Dr. Canna said. There's a huge push for performance, meaning you can buy low-cost, high-performance hardware very easily. I could go out and buy 100 PlayStation 3 consoles at my neighborhood Best Buy if I wanted. That is just what Dr. Canna did on a smaller scale. Because the National Science Foundation, which funds much of Dr. Canna's research, might not have viewed the bulk buying of video game consoles as a responsible use of grant money, he reached out to the Sony Computer Entertainment America, the company behind the PlayStation 3. Sony donated four consoles to the experiment. Dr. Canna's university paid for eight more, and Dr. Canna bought another four. He then installed the Linux operating system on all 16 consoles, plugged them into the internet, and booted up the supercomputer. Barry, Europe,
0: up. Leo Burkle. No, sorry. Leor Burkle. A-
1: okay. An associate professor of physics at the Georgia Ginwit College and past collaborator with Dr. Canna praised the idea as an ingenious way to get the function of a supercomputer without the prohibitive expense. Sorry, Dr. Canna was able to combine his two fields of expertise, namely general relativity and computer science, to invent something new that allowed for not just a new machine, but also scientific progress that otherwise might have taken many more years to achieve, Dr. Burko said. In 2009, Dr. Canna punished, punished, published a paper in the journal Parallel and Distributed Computing and Systems demonstrating the cell processors of the PlayStation 3 was able to speed up scientific calculations over a traditional computer processor by a factor of nearly 10. The first results of simulations made using the PlayStation 3 supercomputer detailing the behavior of gravitational waves arising from rotating black holes was published the same year in the Journal of Classical and Quantum Gravity. Dr. Canna's observations caught the attention of the Air Force Research Laboratory in Rome, New York, whose scientists were investigating PlayStation 3 processors. In 2010, the lab built its own PlayStation 3 supercomputer using 1,716 consoles to conduct radar imaging processing for urban surveillance. Our PS3 supercomputer is capable of processing the complex computations required to create a detailed image of an entire city from radar data, said Mark Barnell, the director of high-performance computing in the Air Force Research Laboratory. The lab later entered into a cooperative research and development agreement with Dr. Canna's team, donating 176 PlayStation 3 consoles. His team linked the consoles, housing them in a refrigerated shipping container designed to carry milk. The resulting supercomputer, Dr. Canna said, had the computational power of nearly 3,000 laptop or desktop processors and cost only $75,000 to make, about a tenth the cost of a comparable supercomputer made using traditional parts.
2: I want to. I want to know who in the Pentagon stamped their approval on the Air Force's re, Air Force's request for 176 fucking PlayStations.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> I knew you would like that.
2: <laughs> well, and and the other thing is, I did not realize Rome, New York, is not far from here. I did not realize that the Air Force had a scientific center there, huh?
1: But yeah, I mean,
0: seriously,
2: the the, uh, Senate oversights and whatever, 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 aren't fucking paying attention because somebody, several somebodies, obviously, because we know how redundant our government is, approved a purchase order for 176 PlayStation 3s.
1: Um, Either that or a bunch of hammers and toilet seats got approved and they just bought PlayStation 3s with the money.
0: Well, I mean, I I know many computer geeks from Lenov. And, yeah, I know people that have sort of supercomputers in their houses because they've gone to one of these um, refurbishment warehouses and bought crap loads of old Dell office computers and then just chained them together. (laughs) Right. You know, they've bought the old desktops for $40 each, and they've bought 100 of them link them all together, and thus you have your own supercomputer. The other solution being uh, what SETI does. I um, don't know if uh, people are aware of the, the SETI software, which anyone can download, right, and, and it you uses your spare processor power
1: help you help <laughs> to them calculate. Well, Yeah, but you're helping the search for extraterrestrial life, which if it exists, I'm pretty sure it will be computer based. I don't well, they should have
2: went to like eBay it. because they could have bought them for less than a hundred bucks. <laughs> I just looked. Yeah, PlayStation threes aren't worth a lot.
1: <laughs> no, but it, it does have a hellishly nice DVD player. Including um, player. Well, Blu-ray. Sorry, Blu-ray. Um, this is the part that was also kind of interesting. The next supercomputer we're going to build will probably be made entirely of these cards. And he's talking about graphics cards. Oh, yeah. The current
0: current graphics cards are incredibly powerful for Mm -hmm. data calculation.
1: It won't work for everything, but it will certainly cover a large set of scientific and engineering applications, especially if we keep improving it. So, basically, people are actually trying to do real science. We've turned them into Fred Sanford. And and got- the,
2: the most the funniest thing to me about this is that Jan didn't tick off the line. What is this line? Uh, let me read this again. In 2010, the lab built its own PlayStation 3 supercomputing supercomputer using 1,716 consoles to conduct radar image processing for urban <laughs> surveillance. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, you know, I stopped reading after that, though.
0: <laughs> they're probably attempting to 3D map live uh, data well I mean it is
2: pretty power. bad my kids Xbox will stream data back and forth better than my fucking computer and it does because I mean I can't Bernie has um, he's got a 46 inch TV that his Xbox is hooked to I cannot be in his room while he is playing those games because they make me carsick <laughs> yeah, I can't play any of them. Um do you remember years and years ago when uh what the hell was that first 3D game? Um It was a first person shooter game.
0: Oh, Wolfenstein.
2: Yeah, that. <laughs> Paul got into playing that and I was like, "Oh my god." And because it literally made me carsick. It they gave me motion sickness and I still can't. Um they they messed me up. My biggest piss off watching YouTube videos wanting to tell people to get a fucking tripod.
0: I do have a question. How far does Bernie sit from his giant screen?
2: Uh, About 12
0: feet. Oh, good. I was going to say because lots of people use giant screens and then it's so big you're not actually taking in the edges with your eyesight anyway. Yeah, no, it's (laughs) it's,
2: it's all the way across the room. Yeah, no.
0: Because, yeah, I use a desktop, so the biggest screen you actually need on a desktop's 24-inch. <laughs> Your eyes can't focus on more than that properly, so, yeah.
2: <laughs> but I'm glad to see that, you know, he actually took these video game systems and did something truly scientific with them.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, with the processing speed and the... Graphics cards and everything else they have in them. I mean, they're probably the most powerful systems out there. Uh,
0: John, your volume's gone low again.
1: Uh, again? Can you hear me? Yeah, be back. Better. Okay. Oh, for God's sake! I love Mixler. Somebody shoot <laughs> that. Somebody send the Mixler people a couple PlayStation threes and tell them to <laughs> fucking improve their system because this is ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. The the current generations of graphics cards are. Of ten times the computational power that remember they used the, to
2: have. So do you remember the Commodore sixty four? That everything was on a, a floppy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> floppy. That's awful modern.
2: Yeah, we had. All uh, well, right they
0: had tape drives. Yeah, yeah
2: we had, we had uh, this game called Rat Race, and <laughs> my dad used to say, "I bought that thing for your homework," and I turn around, and look at him, and say, "Our school's too stupid to buy computers."
1: <laughs> um. You know what's really scary? Our nuclear silo systems uh, still run on the old giant floppy disks?
0: Yeah, the 8-inch ones.
1: Yeah, that's kind of something I would think you would want to spend a little money on. Um,
0: Actually, no. No. (laughs) Are they better? In the case of silos and controlling that sort of equipment, yeah, they're much more hard-weighting. The modern equipment is better faster and stuff like that but it's nowhere near as durable because a lot of the old equipment (laughs) involved having physical big chunky wires Uh, (laughs) not tiny um, motherboard you know circuit board based wiring which can can be melted by an EMP burst (laughs) a big cable can't
1: (laughs) true Um, so okay um,
2: Bernie asked us what an LP was yesterday, Chan. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh God, Did
2: you hit him with one? Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, we were watching How It's Made. Right. And he really wanted to know what the hell that was. Really? Yeah. And his dad said, 43, or 40, yeah. Paul said, forty-five, thirty-three, and 72. <laughs> what?
1: I don't understand. Yeah, well, actually, I mean... I- I actually have a lot of friends who are audiophiles. I mean, like you think Russ is an audiophile. You've never met one. And these guys are DJs and they will not play any music. That's not on vinyl. And doesn't matter what it is. And I've got to admit the bit compression rate for CDs and MP3s sucks. It takes yeah. a lot of life out of the music. So if you really want to hear something warm, and, and something that sounds really good, even with the popping and the hissing. Um,
0: no, 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 no.
1: An LP is going to sound really good.
0: See, if you want to spend 50 grand, you can get a, a vinyl <laughs> player that no. That, that no longer uses a needle. Well, they got uh, them with the. the pops and hissing. It uses the laser? a laser to yeah. play the track.
1: Yeah.
0: And the sound is crystal clear. There's no popping and hissing. Nice. <laughs> but they're a bit expensive. Yeah, it also doesn't wear out the the disc where a traditional needle slowly wears out your your vinyl. The laser yeah. player doesn't, which is why so many people use them there.
1: Yeah. Um so we all know about the North Korea bullshit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, they seem to be denying everything. I can't yeah, believe well... them on this one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Obama hits North Korea with sanctions. Hence, there's more to come. I-, I just have a question. Why? Everybody who's involved with any kind of technology or hacking says there's no way that North Korea did this. Yeah. You know, their two hamster wheel electricity system just wouldn't support the computing power needed to do it. Well, yeah, I mean,
0: if if they have that sort of computing power, yeah, the the american government would know all about it cause they, yeah, they because yeah because as crazy as that motherfucker
2: the, is you're taken over the world with it by now
0: yeah. well no <laughs> not just that i mean you'd, you'd spot the heat bloom from a major computer center from space because the rest of the country's fucking cold <laughs>
1: yeah it's it's cold it's black when they fly over it it's yeah. it's it's really something to see.
0: That's it. I mean, there's not even street lighting in most of it. So, yeah, you'd be able to spot a data farm for a computer center quite easily.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Despite a recent FBI briefing attempting to convince the Bureau that evidence was flimsy, the White House is standing strong behind its decision to point the Sony hack finger squarely on North Korea. To prove it, Obama just hit North Korea with tightened sanctions because now we're really not doing business with them. (laughs) The new sanctions cited by the White House apply to three different entities and 10 individuals who it claims are agencies or officials of the North Korean government. This includes North Korea's primary intelligence organization, the Reconnaissance General Bureau, and officials in Russia, Iran, and China. Of course, both the U.S. and the U.N. have been slapping North Korea with various sanctions for years, So this particular executive order is likely more symbolic than anything. What's interesting, though, is the fact that the White House is calling this particular move its first aspect of our response for the attack on Sony Pictures, which implies that it's denying any involvement in the DDoS attacks on North America's Internet just a few weeks ago. It also means there is apparently more to come. According to Secretary of the Treasury Jacob J. Liu, Even as the FBI continues its investigation into the cyber attack against Sony Pictures Entertainment, these steps underscore that we will employ a broad set of tools to defend U.S. businesses and citizens. Of course, those hit with today's sanctions aren't necessarily suspected of any involvement in the hack on Sony. Rather, it seems to simply be a way of applying further pressure on the North Korean government in general. Whether or not North Korea is actually to blame for the attack is another issue entirely. Security firms have been citing a lack of public evidence, while the White House and FBI continue to assert that the sort of sensitive evidence that persuaded them can't be made public. According to one official, it's a first step. The administration felt that it had to do something to stay on point. This is certainly not the end for them. In other words, either way, the White House felt like it needed to do something and this is an easy way to do that without really accomplishing much of anything at all. It just makes no sense. I mean, <laughs> why do they keep insisting? It Was North Korea? It was it was not?
0: Yeah, we already know it. It's those idiot lizard lot, and I'm not <laughs> out to get them.
1: Yeah. Well, the I they arrested a couple of the lizard squad. Those fucking yeah. bastards.
0: Oh, and I you love know, how uh, they're protecting. Our companies. Last I heard, Sony was Japanese. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, well, yeah. Our companies. And our citizens. But mostly our companies. Fuckers. Why don't you just admit you're fascist right fucking now? genie any thoughts?
2: <laughs> nope. Nope. Okay. I told you to begin with that. That's a fucking stupid.
1: Mm, well... Well, it's the same as saying that uh, everything that happened in Benghazi was the fault of videotape, and you know they say that shit too. Um, you might want to get the Stingray audio ready.
0: What do you mean, get it ready? It's ready.
1: Okay. (laughs) Do
0: you want me to play it?
1: I do. We have a Stingray story. Stand by for action.
0: To launch, Stingray. can happen in the next half hour.
1: Okay, um, Arizona court rules against journalists in stingray lawsuit. The decision involving journalist Bo Hadai and the Tucson Police Department's stingray use is already having effects on other open records requests. An Arizona court has ruled in favor of the local police department that sought to keep records related to the use of a clandestine cell phone surveillance device a secret. Freelance prof- Reporter Bo Hadai sued the Tucson Police Department after the agency failed to produce all documents related to its use of an electronic spy device called a Stingray, which acts as a fake cell phone tower in order to track phones of targeted individuals. Hadai requested all documents in connection with the agency's purchase and deployment of the Stingray device. The agency responded to Hadai's request by producing a handful of redacted records while claiming other records, were protected from Arizona's open records law. Heday sued the police department in March, hoping a judge would force the department to release the remainder of the records. But earlier this month, a, ju- a, a judge ruled against Hadai, declaring that the police department was within its rights to withhold certain documents because releasing them could help criminals avoid detection. Not all records maintained by public officers are subject to public inspection, Judge Douglas Metcalf wrote in his ruling. Hodai did not return a request from the Blot magazine for comment. For several years, journalists and civil libertarians have been trying to gather information on how stingrays are used. Some courts have found in favor of the civil liberties groups like the ACLU requiring courts to release documents related to local law enforcement acquisition and use of the devices. Documents that have been released reveal that the devices could be problematic from a privacy standpoint because Stingrays force all cell phones within a given radius to connect to it instead of a legitimate network tower. In doing so, law enforcement is able to gather certain metadata from targeted and non-targeted phones alike. Some police departments have asserted that its data retention policies protect the privacy of non-targeted individuals, though specifics on those policies are often not disclosed. Privacy groups have also raised issues with law enforcement warrantless use of stingrays and similar surveillance devices. When a police department taps the phone line of an individual, it is required by law to obtain a court order. However, law enforcement officials have acknowledged that they don't always actively seek out authorization from a judge before they deploy a stingray, which some have called a potential Fourth Amendment violation. I agree with that. Worse, in some areas, police and prosecutors have covered up their stingray use from defense attorneys leaving open the real possibility that criminals could have have uh, could have their convictions overturned by arguing that prosecutors failed to disclose all evidence against them at trial. In at least one Florida court case, an appellate court set aside a guilty verdict against a man who was convicted of sexual battery and petty theft after police covered up their use of a Stingray device. The Arizona decision could prove a setback for privacy advocates seeking greater transparency on the devices Daniel Pagoda, an attorney for the Arizona chapter of the ACLU, told the Washington Post by phone that the group disagrees with the ruling. It was a badly recent decision, Pagoda said. The decision is already having consequences in other open records cases. Last week, San Diego City's City Attorney Office released, among other things, a copy of the Tucson court order to a news organization that requested information on its police department's use of a stingray. So, it's a Stingray story, but not.
0: Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, in the UK, yeah, the police could collect data like that, and they would legally have to get rid of any that wasn't on on the uh, criminal they were actually investigating. Yeah. In the US, no. you don't have those laws. So, yeah.
1: No. Well, we... we... We suffer from an overabundance of government, both in the EU and in the United States. And dismantling some of the centers of power could only be a good thing. But, um, you know, I'm sure the government knows exactly how I feel about them. It's not like I keep it secret. And (laughs) I am not the only one who feels that way. And I know I'm not the only one who feels that way, because government is the country's biggest problem, say Americans. Government and the creatures who infest its rotten carcass was the most important problem facing the United States in 2014, Americans tell Gallup pollsters. That's up from being the second most serious problem in 2013 and third ranker in 2012 who says the American political system is stuck. This is progress. The news that Americans are unfond of government, Congress, the president, and the politicians in general comes from an average of monthly survey results throughout the year. Given officialdom's literary lit- litany of stupid government tricks, the elevation of Americans' own flavor of, fave flavor of leviathan to public enemy number one may seem like nothing more than good common sense to many observers. Perhaps an expression of collective survival instinct, or at least mass revulsion. True government just barely edged out general economic concerns and worries over jobs and unemployment for top ranking, but still, it's impressive when the institution whose adherents bill it as the cure for life's ills wins top billing as a major disease itself. Gallup's findings hardly come out of the blue. Pew polls find trust in public at a 24% is near historic lows. A plurality of those surveyed, 42%, tell Reason pollsters that President Obama has expanded the power of government too much. Majorities among younger Americans say that the government is wasteful and government agencies abuse their power. Americans have felt less free year by year since 2006, and there's evidence to back up their perceptions of eroding liberty. That includes slippage in the ranks of economic freedom and a plummet in the ratings of press freedom. Distrust of government has become so pervasive that the Census Bureau thinks the only way to get cooperation from the seething masses is with threats, probably because that always invokes warm, fuzzy feelings. Jeannie knows all about threats from the Census Bureau. The good <laughs> news for politicians, not that they deserve any, is that there is enormous room here for growth and little downside. Frankly, it would be hard for them to disappoint a public that holds them in such low regard. So, you know, I'm not the only one who feels that way. Hooray. For once, I'm in the majority. And that doesn't happen all that much. And I don't think anybody has anything to add. Everybody thinks that their government has room for improvement. To me, room for improvement is dismantling the whole system, but that will never happen.
0: If you mean they have room for improvement as the only space available is improvement space.
1: <laughs>
0: Literally, they'd have hard time getting worse in most cases. Oh, hey,
2: well, no, it could get worse. We could live in North Korea.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't want, I don't want to, I don't know, I don't want no beast President Kim jong in um standing there looking at a shiny new fitness equipment while people are literally skin and bones outside the new fitness center. That just seems wrong to me.
2: Yeah. I mean, I completely agree that we have a lot of room for improvement, but I'm just saying it could get worse.
1: Yeah, it could. Um, This is actually from a normal publication. (laughs) <laughs> what will the next financial crisis look like and are we ready? And when I say it's from a normal publication and get it from Reason and get it anywhere weird, I mean, this is a regular publication. The subprime crisis and the subsequent failure of Lehman Brothers came as a shock and the percussions were so severe that when the time came to mount a response, policymakers were as surprised as the rest of us and woefully unprepared. Bullshit! In the six years since Lehman's collapse, much effort has gone into thinking about the next crisis and about how to strengthen the financial roles and practices so that the fallout is contained. Also bullshit. Has this effort been productive? Will the percussions of the next crisis be less damaging? Another banking crisis? The answer, as with many things economics, is it depends. Bullshit. It depends, in particular, on the form the next crisis takes. Uh, hello. (laughs) We have the kind of currency that's depreciated 97% in its value since we started using it. Just saying.
0: Don't forget they've also half rebuilt the subprime mortgage market. Mm -hmm. So they're lending money to people who can't afford it. Again.
1: Again. Again. Yay. Yay. Uh, The answer is, with many things, economics is it depends. It depends in particular on the form the next crisis takes. Most obviously, that crisis could be sparked by the collapse of a large bank, (laughs) similar to bank failures in the U.S. and other countries in 2007 and 2008. Banks are highly leveraged. No shit. Uh, And information about their underlying condition can be difficult to obtain. This means that they are always at the risk of going bust. Governments have therefore focused on making the banking system more robust by stealing our cash and able to better withstand the failure of a large financial institution. Banks are now required to hold more capital (laughs) so that they have a larger cushion to absorb losses from the collapse of one of their number. They are now subject to liquidity requirements to ensure that they have adequate resources if the interbank market on which they borrow overnight dries up. Regulators have taken steps to remove the expectation of a taxpayer bailout pfft, oh, I'm sorry, and reformed compensation practices in the hopes that it will deter excessive risk-taking. Bank failures will still happen, but these are among the reasons to hope that their repercussions will be less severe. Bullshit. Another euro crisis. Alternatively, the next crisis could be sparked by doubts, like those of 2012, about the survival of the euro. An election in one or another European country could bring to power an opposition party committed to abandoning the euro. Greece's opposition left-wing party, Syriza, is likely to form the next government in Athens if parliamentary, parliamentary elections are held in the spring. Marine Le Pen, a leader in the French opinion polls, has vowed to take the country out of the euro her first day in office. If one country was seen as about to leave the euro, the expectation would quickly develop that others would follow. The result could be panic runs on banks and financial markets across Europe. Here, leaders are clearly better prepared than in 2012, before European Central Banks President Mario Draghi voted to do whatever it takes to maintain the, the integrity of the euro area. In a panic, we now expect the ECB to immediately immediately flood financial markets with cash. Why do they do that? It would buy every security in sight if doing so was necessary to hold the eurozone together. An isolated exit from the euro would still be disruptive, but there is reason to think that the fallout could be contained. A crisis of geopolitics. The next crisis could also be sparked by a geopolitical event. Worsening conflict in the Ukraine or the Middle East or rival clash between China and another country bordering the South China Sea. These kind of events invariably disrupt financial markets. But they are more likely to create problems for other countries than for the United States, which remains the world's only true haven. Bullshit. Geopolitical turmoil is likely to create a flight towards U.S. markets, not away. Mm -hmm. But there is also the danger of a crisis originating in the United States itself the U.S. is seen as a haven because its financial markets are so liquid. (laughs) Yeah, they're like diarrhea. Because it's possible, in other words, to buy and sell government and corporate securities at low cost in virtually unlimited quantities, making things worse. But recent financial reforms, like the Volcker Rule, and changes in capital requirements for banks have made it more expensive for U.S. financial institutions to hold inventories of bills and bonds. Consequently, if there is sudden movement out of those institutions by the same money managers that have made the movement in, their prices could implode. Liquidity premiums, the extra yield investors demand to own a security when it can't be converted easily to cash, would implode. I'm sorry, explode. And exchange-traded funds with positions in such assets would find themselves unable to redeem their shares. Officials like Mark Carney, governor of the Bank of England, have been warning of this danger in the hopes that the warnings will lead investors to be better prepared. Perhaps those warnings will have some effect. Time will tell. But these, to invoke Donald Rumsfeld, are the known unknowns. They are the crisis risks we perceive and for which we are attempting to prepare because they resemble crises of the past. There have been bank failures before the Eurozone had a near-death experience in 2012, the sudden surge of yields in which Carney warns would resemble the liquidity crisis that resulted from the failure of the mega-hedge fund long-term capital management in 1980-98. These types of crises are likely to be manageable precisely because they have history. More dangerous are Rumsfeld unknown unknowns, the financial crises that come from unanticipated sources. History provides no guidance about their form at all. All we know is that there will be some. And the other thing financial history tells us for sure is that their impact will be severe. Well, that article said a lot of bullshit, a lot of bullshit, a lot of bullshit, and then nothing. <laughs> um, so that's the kind of stuff you typically read when you're reading typically about finance. And what it doesn't tell you is that most governments are pumping in about $170 billion worth of printed cash or putting ones and zeros on the balance sheets every fucking day. That's why the stock market is at unprecedented highs and that's why the middle class is slowly being squeezed out. Because the way our banking institutions are set up is they're actually set up to create recessions and depressions to steal wealth from the middle class. That is what they do.
2: We um we went down to the bank because we were buying a car. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when I say we were buying a car, I mean to tell you that we were taking money out of our checking account to buy a fucking car. Mm-hmm. They didn't have it. Which isn't the same thing, but I'm just saying, everybody thinks banks have got all this money. No,
1: they don't. Um, they, they, have don't. Like a, they have like a squirrel sitting in the vault.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing in there. Um, and they informed us that because Paul went to take the money out, and they said, well, we, we can't give you that. You're going to have to give us three days' notice. And Paul said, excuse me? Said, well, we need we need three days' notice to give you that much cash. And Paul said, well, no, because... It's my money. This piece of paper right here says I have this much money in this bank. Mm-hmm. Where is my money? Well, you need to give us three days notice. And Paul says, well, what if I needed my money today? Oh, well. And he said, well, you couldn't have it. <laughs> they said, but you can write a check. <laughs> and Paul says, you really think somebody wants me handing a personal check? And they said, well, we'll give you a cashier's check. They only cost $10. Paul says, you want me to pay
1: you $10 fucking give me my money? <laughs> You know, um, people don't know how banking works and it's not even that you need to, but all of it is based on a fractional reserve system. So if you put in a thousand dollars, they can loan out all but 10. Okay. They can take all your money and loan it to somebody else. And that creates a plus on their, their, account sheet. It's the most twisted stuff I've ever seen in my life, the way fractional reserve banking works.
2: But that's why this whole thing, this story we just didn't, they're talking about, well, these run on banks and, you know, it'll cost, and I'm like, wait a minute. You can run to the bank and try to take all your money out. They're not going to fucking give it to you because they don't have it. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it can cause this instantaneous world-stopping crash because it's not there.
1: You say that, but, you know, it doesn't need to. It just needs to create panic. Yeah. It just needs to get out on social media. It just needs someone popular to talk about it on social media, and it'll start something quite catastrophic. And and that's what they fear. That's really, I think, what they fear. Well, you can
2: tell exactly how unpopular the three of us are because we talk about this shit every fucking weekend, and, and <laughs> you know, shit's still burning.
1: I know. I know. Um... So I started watching some documentaries this week, and I I linked them on Facebook, and I don't want to have to go there to my page and grab them, but I will, because people were messaging me almost consistently on Facebook earlier. Um, They were very interesting. There were a series of three documentaries produced for the BBC, and they were called All Watched Over by Machines of Loving Grace. And i would never learned as much about banking and how people relate to one another and psychology, the world, history, as I have from those three hours of television. And I don't watch TV. But if you want to learn something new, something interesting, you would really like what's contained in those three hours of television
2: you um, to go get him?
1: Yeah, I'm going to get him. Hang on. Oh, it's, I can go
2: get him if you want to talk.
1: Okay. Um, you'll learn, a, if you watch all three of them, you'll learn probably more about yourself, more about the environment, more about computer systems, and more about banking than you ever thought possible. Really, really great documentaries. I highly recommend them. You'll learn a lot from them. Um, The best place to find them, because I'm not going to speak out a web address in here, is to search it out on Vimeo. It was really good. So I just thought that might be interesting to people. And Jeannie's right, we really aren't all that popular. Um, And I know that just because of the fun we had getting our shows uploaded to SoundCloud the last two weeks. And I don't think that has anything. I really don't think that has anything to do with Kevin. I think that has to do with the content of the show itself. So, and, and talk about freaky last week's show disappeared after it was uploaded, just gone. So I don't think anybody's out to get us. I just think people think, you know, news is fucking boring (laughs) 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 or something. It's definitely not as interesting as, you know, reverse prank phone calls, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, The NIH is spending $433,577,000 to find out what kids think of fat characters in movies. The National Institute of Health is spending almost half a million dollars to determine what children think about fat characters in movies. Children's perceptions of obesogenic culture in films or the promotion of excessive weight gain is the subject of a study being conducted by the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. The researchers have concluded that children's movies are confusing because they make fun of fat characters while also promoting unhealthy behaviors like drinking soda and watching television. Children receive cultural messages about appropriate eating, exercise, and attitudes from a variety of influences likely including family, friends, schools, religious institutions, and electronic culture, television, movies, and video games, the grant explains. One important source of culture in the world for children is children's movies. The grant also claims that minority children watch more movies than others. Children have access to many movies and the ability to view them over and over again, contributing to significant daily exposure, more for children from minority backgrounds, it said. These movies provide cues to worldwide normative behavior and experiences widely shared among similar aides nationally and even worldwide. The study argues that not enough research has been conducted on children's feelings on obese characters. Our team's preliminary work has examined movies and found top-grossing G&PG-rated movies depict unhealthy eating and sedentary activity as the norm while simultaneously mocking overweight characters, the grant said. The presentation of obesity, therefore, is condemning with the depiction of unhealthy food and exercise choices as a positive. Research examining how children interpret these messages from culture however, is scant. The researchers singled out Kung Fu Panda, Jesus Christ, (laughs) and Elvin and the Chipmunks, the Squeakle, and Shrek, the third, for making fat jokes, first published in their paper for the study last year. These children's movies offer a discordant presentation about food, exercise, and weight status, glamorizing unhealthy eating and sedentary behavior, yet condemning obesity itself, said Elena M. Perrin, MPMPH, Associate Professor of Pediatrics in the UNC School of Medicine and lead researcher for the NIH Project. The study found that many children's movies contain weight-based stigma and had significant obesogenic content. The project is scheduled to conclude until uh, conclude in August of next year. So um this sounds like a glance grant. Yeah.
0: Well, if they're really worried, just make sure as children get older or old enough. They all either watch or even better read thinner.
1: <laughs> oh my god, thinner. <laughs> They'll never look at a pie again. <laughs> <laughs> um Winnie the Winnie the Pooh was fluffy. Yes,
0: yeah, he
2: was, it was Mickey fluffy. Mouse is fluffy.
0: But did you not know Winnie the Pooh's in trouble because he's apparently uh, perceived as gay by yeah. crazy, crazy people? Basically,
2: well, <laughs> the crazy Pooh, people. you stupid fucks! It is for little little <laughs> kids. to have no inclination whatsoever of sexual orientation how fucked <laughs> up are we
1: oh my god that
0: were if sir um yeah <laughs> i don't think it's Going he's only far.
2: perceived as gay by grown fucking adults that shouldn't be watching winnie the pooh
1: <laughs> i don't know i kind of i kind of th- find winnie the pooh soothing I actually really like piglet except for piglet's voice i like eeyore's voice not Piglet's voice so much, but I love Piglet's character. Eeyore is just kind of depressing. And Winnie the Pooh is just, oh dear, oh dear.
2: Oh dear. And Eeyore's like, alright. Yeah. <laughs> Guess they'll do it anyway. Eeyore is a, a role model for kids to live up to. You don't like it? Too fucking bad. Do it anyway. Watch Eeyore. He doesn't like it? Did it anyway.
0: Yeah. Become a man like, depressive. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I just don't understand why we're spending this kind of money for assholes that are clearly students of glance to make money. It doesn't make any sense. Why are we and paying to, these fucking people? We to, we can't or, let real scientists who want to study black holes have the money to have a decent enough computer to do it. Yeah, so and don't, don't research Ebola.
2: Stations. Yeah, don't research Ebola without paying the patent fees.
1: <laughs> uh, well, don't get Ebola if you're... Over in the Holy Land. Just put it that way. You don't want it over there, um, you know, because if IS finds out, you know, they they get rid of the virus by burning it out of you, literally. So yeah, I I don't.
2: <laughs> what is Who that? the fuck approves this research money, really? It's who be pro- but really, who, who approves this shit? And how fucked up are they that they think that this is a good idea?
1: See, I think they do acid. I think they all drop acid before they go in and have these meetings about what studies they're going to approve. That's the only thing that makes sense when I look yeah, at Yeah, and
2: not places. the shitty kind of acid. We're talking like the really trippy, <laughs> talking-to-walls kind of acid.
1: My foot is my friend. Yeah. Okay. This looks like a good grant. We need the poo and obesity, you say. My okay. my hand
2: my hand is talking to me. I think I can perceive my hand as being gay. We should not have hands allowed on TV, which would outlaw the fucking Muppets.
0: <laughs> well, the the whole granting thing. Uh, I've got, I've got to drop an article okay. into uh, chat for. <laughs> So there are lots of these sort of websites that list all these weird funding decisions, but but this one attracted me because of the title.
1: <laughs> Chimps throw poop. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. The the government waste book actually every year that comes out, and and every year you'll go, what the fuck did we just spend two million dollars on?
0: I, I especially. Uh, Dragon robots for preschoolers sounds interesting, at least.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's always a good idea because, you know...
0: Cowboy poetry.
1: poetry. Mm. (laughs) I guess it's better than reporting tots to the home office. Yeah. Not by much. Online political opinions don't need regulating. YouTube videos expressing conservative views are an exercise of free speech Not a reason to rein in the internet. A decade ago, the Federal Election Commission, where I am a commissioner and a former chairman, debated whether it should regulate political communications posted on the internet. The commission received more than 800 public comments, and after a thorough study and two days of hearings, unanimously approved a rule that in 2006 freed the vast majority of political commentary on the internet from regulation. It should all be free from regulation. That Internet Freedom Rule exempted all political commentary that citizens and groups distribute online free, whether in email or on websites, blogs, or various social media platforms. The Commission retained jurisdiction over two limited areas, political campaign parties and political action committees that post communications on the Internet. And anyone who posts express electoral advocacy online for an advertising fee like a paid advertisement placed on television or in a newspaper. The rule opened a robust national forum for political discussion about public policy, government, and elections. Millions of citizens are now empowered to speak widely as commenters, bloggers, podcasters, YouTube posters, and Facebook supporters, while new technologies have facilitated a record number of new political communities at a fraction of historical costs. Political speech and civic engagement have flourished on the Internet. But this freedom can no longer be taken for granted. In a recent enforcement matter, a conservative group allegedly violated the law by posting two political videos on YouTube without reporting them to the FEC. The FEC's Office of General Counsel recommended that the commission dismiss the case because the videos were disseminated free and solely on the Internet. I, along with two Republican colleagues, voted to dismiss the complaint, effectively blocking any further action but three commissioners, two Democrats, and one independent, voted to investigate the group. Vice Chairwoman Ann Ravel explained in an October 24th statement that she voted to investigate the group because the 2006 rule turned a blind eye towards Internet communication and failed to acknowledge the importance of providing transparency to the public, no matter what medium of public communication. Uh, She also criticized the Republican commissioners for following the rule, some of my colleagues seem to believe that the same political message that would require disclosure from on television should be categorically exempt from the same requirements when placed on the internet alone, free. As a matter of policy, this simply does not make sense. Oh, she's lovely, isn't she? Jesus. That's not the word I would use. She, wow. She, she just, she looks like an auntie, put it that way. Mm-hmm. She just looks, you know, scary and healthy and just wrinkly and unhappy. Yeah, she, she's a regulator. Commissioner Ravel has since backtracked. In a November 5 letter to the editor of this newspaper, she wrote that she meant that only the FEC is woefully out of step with technological inno- innovations and that she simply wanted to encourage the FEC to begin to open a new dialogue, listening to outside experts and gathering a broad range of views about new and emerging technologies. Go ahead. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. The case did spark a dialogue. Nearly 2,000 citizens have submitted comments urging the commission to keep its hands off the Internet. While, the commissioner, while commissioner Ravel's rebooted rationale is an improvement, it is of little solace to the thousands of online speakers who now post under the chilling shadow of the FEC's split vote, and Commissioner Ravel's expressed intent to disregard the law and seek to regulate YouTube videos, until she hears more about technological innovations from outside experts. The FEC should not only adhere to the 2006 rule, but also expand the Internet freedom for several reasons. First, the low cost of a personal computer and monthly Internet connection charge. Citizens can reach millions of people. The Internet has so decentralized modern journalism that there are hundreds of thousands of online regular publications, bloggers, podcasters, and commenters of all stripes. Government registration and reporting and disclaimer regulations would burden and interfere with online publications and publishers small and large. Second, the FEC has no authority to regulate political speech for the sake of limiting speech, but only with regard to large monetary contributions and expenditures with corruptive potential. Unlike expensive television ad buys targeted by campaign finance reforms of the late 1970s, the free and low-cost internet postings are not corrupting because no large expenditures of money are necessary. On the Internet, well-expressed ideas can find an audience without cost barriers. Third, citizens voluntarily seek the viewpoints they want to hear on the Internet. Government should not impose regulatory burdens that restrict the political information citizens choose to view. Finally, how would the FEC even monitor the Internet to call posts meriting investigation? Inspector of government agents reviewing thousands of daily online political posts is as impractical as it is ominous just as unfeasible would be a regulatory scheme that attempts attempts to assign a monetary value to unique online posts or regulate citizens based on what portion of their online use is devoted to political activities.
2: Oh wait oh wait is this like a foot in the door to justify
1: the NSA data collection center? The FEC considered these ideas when it adopted the 2006 rule and the Commission chose freedom for citizens and organizations. Nothing justifies revisiting that steady determination. Heavy-handed regulations and disclosure burdens would impede online participation and threaten the continued viability of one of the most democratic public forums of all time. Given the boundless promise of the Internet and new technologies as tools for civic engagement, If anything, the Federal Election Commission must instead look for new ways to encourage rather than discourage political speech and democratic engagement online. I thought that was really good, actually.
0: Well, yeah. The answer uh, to all these crazies that want to block up the internet, it works so well in Egypt for (laughs) their political rulers and Libya and... <laughs> all the other well, various places during the Arab Spring. I mean, all the all the people there had uh, the, the governments had tried to block up the internet and remove free speech. It yeah. didn't work.
1: It doesn't. People want to be free. Deep down at their core, it's all anybody really, really wants. You don't want the government regulating what you put in your body or how you exercise or whether your kids can go out and play in the front lawn. You don't want to go to jail for letting your kid take the subway. These are just things that up until 20 years ago were kind of basic things we took for granted. And every day more and more of them, more and more of that little basic freedom is just gone. And it happens so gradually, it's like people don't even notice. And then suddenly you wake up and you're North Korea. And no one wants to live like that either. So. I don't even know what else to say. (laughs) Anybody got anything? No, ma'am.
0: Okay. Nope.
1: I guess that's it, guys. Happy New Year.
2: Time for the advert?
1: I think so. I think it's time to talk about Second Amendment.
2: Oh, no, wait a minute. No, I do. I do. I do have a rant. Okay. I wanted to ask you about this. Now, Jan, why do you advocate?
1: For the people who come after me. Okay. It has nothing to do with me.
2: Okay. Why do you advocate for vaping?
1: It's for the people who come after me. Okay. It has nothing to do with me.
2: Okay. So now would would you go in no well you you advocate, but uh, if you wanted to bitch about smokers, would you do it in an advocacy group no. that is fighting for the rights no. not only for the vapors of today but for the people that are out there that are smoking that still haven't made that switch
1: No, but you know here's the thing i I think yeah. I'm going to say
2: it. It's, it's making me fucking crazy, Jan, so you need to make this make <laughs> sense to me.
1: Okay. I think I think anti-smokers... Okay. Actually, Frank, Frank Davis, who uh, writes a really interesting blog, wrote something last night about anti-smokers and hate. And it was really interesting because what he talked about was that, you know, the people at the top, like Simon Chapman... And that gigantic asshole researcher here in America, in California, who thinks his shit don't stink. The honorary doctor, jackass, Stanton Glantz. They act like they don't hate smokers. All they talk about is how they like them and they care about them. And yet you have people in their basic army running around saying all these horrible things about them. Um, And they never get slapped down. They never get told that that's wrong. So it's basically an opinion that they all share. I would never say anything about people who choose to smoke. It is a fucking lifestyle choice. That is all it is. And if you look at what has happened to smokers, you can see our future there. You can see it. And I'm talking about all of us, politically, vaping, All of it. It's all tied in together with people who just fucking hate each other and have a lot. You know, all of these people, I think, in another time, in the time of Archie Bunker or something, would be vicious fucking bigots who hated anybody who was different than them. The government and and the anti-smokers just gave them an excuse to hate on someone.
2: I I had to shut off notifications because the more shit got said, the madder I got. And I'm like... What the fuck is wrong with you people? You come into a group that is a advocacy group. And you start this pissing contest about places that not only sell vape gear, but they sell cigarettes. And you're not going to go spend your money there. And you're not going to this. And you don't want to be associated. What the fuck is wrong with you? You were a smoker. You have made this switch. This advocacy group is here so that all of those millions of people out there that are still smokers can make that switch. And you know what? I am really fucking happy about the fact that some of these places have tobacco and have e-cigs. Because you know what? Maybe tomorrow that guy will walk in there to get a pack of fucking cigarettes and he will decide that, you know what? I think I'll give that a try. And and to to go and start pissing matches over that in an advocacy group drove me insane yesterday. I, I, I mean, I was just incest over that. I was so fucking pissed.
1: I just don't understand it. I I, I don't. If you have personal prejudices, <laughs> everybody does. As, as a group. As people. We're tribal, right? And we identify by tribe. People we see as our tribe. And we notice things that are different we notice patterns but to grasp onto that is just a sign of a lower life form
2: i mean if they are, are so the ignorant they do not see themselves acting just like stanton glance hmm. we are in deep deep trouble here jan
1: you, you know here's the thing i, I did you I've, I've had, I've had a, a bunch of really famous people on Poor Smokers. Audrey Silk has been on this show. Um, Michael McFadden has been on this show promoting his books. Um, Thomas, oh God, Samantha, help me out. Um, so I've had a lot of people on here promoting their books, and talking about freedom. That's what this show is about. Freedom and your rapid fucking loss of it. And it might not be popular, but it's the truth. Everything that happens to this one... it I'm going to liken this to prison. Everything that happens to people in prison will basically happen eventually to the people on the outside. Think of the prison as a sort of testing ground. It is the same thing that has been done with smokers to gradually erode their freedom and keep them prisoners in their own home, deprive them of jobs and the ability to make money. All of that stuff will happen to you if you have an opinion that is not considered the norm by people who think they are better than you. It's time people wake the hell up. All of these things, all these stupid little things, all these divisions, they mean nothing. If we don't, I mean, they, they can be
2: twisted as they want, Jan. I don't care. But why would you go and say this shit in an advocacy group? What, the,
1: what? Jeannie? They shouldn't be saying this shit at all. And if they want to say shit like this, they need to join like Stormfront. Just fucking go and join the white supremacist group. Shut the fuck up and leave the rest of us alone. I, yeah, I was because so because that's what you are I, as a fucking bigot.
2: I was messaging Alex, and I'm like, Alex, how do you keep your sanity? By the way, he's going to be my guest next week on my show. Nice. Yeah. I, I, I got up the courage to ask him, and he said yes. So Alex, Alex is going to be on my up. show. Yeah, he's going to be on with me next week. And I said, how do you not go crazy over this stuff? He said, well, I turned the notifications off. And I'm like, why didn't I fucking think of that?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I had to do that. I had to do that, too. Um,
2: I had I had to turn the notifications off because I just could not understand why... People thought that this was even an appropriate thread.
1: Do you, do you not get it? Do you not, In an advocacy group. Do you not remember some of the mass emails that got sent to legislators in the beginning? I don't have to stand outside with the smokers anymore and I no longer smell. My children want to hug me. I can smell and food tastes better to me now. Well, well I will be shit. the first. No, no, no. To I'm saying that. we said we said shit like this. Mhm. Because it, I it, don't...
2: it it does smell, but you know what? People with BO bother me too.
1: Yeah. Well, people who wear too much, you know, cool water make me want to vomit and people who wear too much Axe make me want to fucking puke too. But, you know what? I have two legs and I can walk the fuck away. That's what freedom is. is just fucking tolerating each other yeah the best well, and my, the worst.
0: my my comment on something like that is there are loudmouth idiots with a severe lack of cognitive processing ability everywhere, and you can't stop them showing up and spouting crap <laughs> it's it's unfortunate, but yeah, I mean, and it's back to the old adage there's there's no kindness worse smoker than an ex-smoker because that's basically what these people are, are. Yeah. it's they're, they've yeah. become the obnoxious ex-smoker that's always ranting about smoking
1: yeah but you know what we know the here's the simple fucking truth we know the antis lie Yeah, we know they lie about everything we know they make up this extraterrestrial science to explain everything look at the stories about us in the press now did you not learn what from from what happened to people before? Did you not learn that this was going to happen to you? Wake the hell up! Yeah. Fight for your own freedom while you still can, and lay off everybody else. I mean, that's the best advice I have for anybody.
0: Um, Jesus. Yeah, it's yeah. These days, it's been said it's more noticeable in internet. People just don't think through what what crap they're talking about (laughs) i
2: I, and i'm sorry to end this on a rant after we had such a nice thing but yeah i wanted to ask you about that and i was just i was so you
1: you really you you really are going to unleash this because i'm gonna have a show and it's just going to be every fucking news story about every person that's been demonized that I can think of in the last 10 to 20 years. And I'll have as many of them on as I can, but then I'll read a lot of their stories so that you grasp when you're playing into this stuff, you're, you're sowing the seeds for your own eventual, eventual conquering. This is wrong. This is wrong. There's never been anything wronger than this. Pull your shit Pull yourself together, get your shit together, learn the truth, and if you can't do that, just shut the fuck up.
2: I mean, because I can admit that, you know what, I can be an asshole of gigantic proportions. I can. Pick your fucking place.
1: No. You know what? Just fucking learn. Look at history and learn. It's all right there. It's all an open book.
2: I Look, equated it to we, walk into a funeral home and saying, hey, oh, that piece we, of shit owes me 20 bucks. Somebody give it to me.
1: This is just wrong. And this <laughs> that everything I just said is probably not something someone who is on the Kassab board should say. I don't give a flying fuck. If you're doing this shit, you're wrong. Okay um, now, now now that I've screamed at everyone, you can play the advert. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in-stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices fast. com. See you next week.